What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, welcome back to a Wednesday afternoon edition of the Chase Thomas podcast. Jeff Siegel is here of EarlyBirdRights.com, a website that you should be reading and looking at and sorting through every single day, especially the NBA season well underway. Jeff, good afternoon. How are you? Doing well. Uh, things are, are moving along pretty quickly with the uh, with the NBA season, but uh, it's uh, it's been a fun season so far. I assume we. I feel like whenever you're on the pod, and because we both watch a lot of Hawks basketball, and we're very familiar with this team, and um, I watched last night and what traded in the second half versus the first half, all that kind of stuff, and what they're doing with Jabari. It's not in my notes, but I I do feel like we need to check in on on the Atlanta's basketball team when. Uh, when you're on the pod and what did you see um post john collins night one um from the Hawks team i think uh i think it's really really apparent just how good trey young is like he's just so offensively talented that you mm. a team kind of like the discussion that we have around rudy gobert where like just having rudy gobert on your team means you're a top five defense like just having him doesn't even matter who the other guys are. If you have Rudy Gobert, you're going to have one of the best defenses in the league. We're getting close enough to the point where just having Trey Young means you're going to have an above average, maybe even a top 10 offense. And it's just like, that's the way it is. It doesn't matter what you put around him. It doesn't matter whether Cam Reddish is shooting 20% from three or 9% or 40%. He's, you know, Trey Young is just an offense unto himself. And like as long as you have guys who can like catch the ball and dunk the ball, you're, he's gonna he's gonna find those guys under the rim and he's just he's gonna score for himself. He's going to create for everybody else. He's going to be that sort of one man offensive engine. And I think that's that's one of the biggest takeaways from that game. And then you know the the smaller ones can be you know just like Red, you know like I said with Reddish, he has been terrible so far this year. Shot the ball pretty he's you really know bad. yeah shot the ball well. You know I think he hit three threes. Like that's better than he had any, you know, he was one for 18, I think coming into the game. So three for three is a, a very good day for him. Um, you know, the, the guys around him are not, you know, overly fantastic. Jabari looks great. I think he's the biggest surprise from the Hawks so far this season in terms of just like how, how good he looks within a competent offensive system with a, a very good point guard. So, you know, that's the, those are the the big takeaways I think from that game. I think people, well, two things there. Um, actually, I guess three. Jabari, I was very low on that signing coming into this year. He's definitely in shape. Um, he's he's able to run um, uh, just a lot more, it seems like, than he ever did in Milwaukee and everywhere else since. Um, he looks great. He's not taking the mid-range shots anymore, which is good. Um, there's a good piece in Peachtree Hoops uh, this week outlining kind of the difference in Jabari and outlining the, just the stats to back it up where he took way too many mid-range jumpers even just last year and this year it's just either right around the rim he's just dunking um easy passes from uh trey young or he's pulling up he's just catching and shooting um from three and not stepping in just knowing where he is in the floor and he's just um he's been a really good stretch five and now with collins out he's having to play that role um and we were all like well i don't think he can play the four anymore and like just what the defensive liabilities are and everything else and then you look at it last night and you're like well the hawks are gonna get murdered on defense no matter what and just having someone like jabari at this point who's just a really smart offensive player he he really gels nicely um with with trey and then you also have to think about like it's not like John Collins was a great defender, but there wasn't a, just a shout out Peachtree again, there was a really good piece on John Collins defensive improvements. I don't, I still don't see enough where I'm like, Oh, this dude's going to be a plus defender in the league. But I do think that was like one of the things where he, losing John Collins for 20 plus games, it's the defense is going to suck with or without him. I, I don't, I don't think John Collins is still turning the corner. And I, I still worry 
about what his right fit, if he's a four or if he's a five, if he can defend fives. I, I still wonder about little things like that. But um, I think the returns on post John Collins and a returning Trey is that uh, Trey Young is more valuable than John Collins, folks. Yeah, I mean, he's just because of how skewed he is toward the offensive end. You know, the defense is what it is with Trey. It's just whatever. But the the how good he is offensively just sort of overshadows everything else with this team. Like he just can come in and be a, a, a one man offense. And it's, you know, it's obviously very fun to watch. And it's you know going to be something to, to monitor with him throughout the season. But it is a it's it's. I don't know whether it's a good thing or a bad thing that they're so overly reliant on him. It would certainly be nice if they had some other options on the team just in general going forward. But for now, they're certainly just going to ride him in, until, you know, in, until they can find some of those other options. Um, I don't know. Have you what did you see this season? Do you think John Collins is actually getting better? Do you think there is a chance he can be a five consistently in this league? Or do you think he's always going to have to play the four too much? I mean, I think he's turned a corner defensively i think he has a couple more corners to go before he can really become like a a real plus defender particularly at the five you know at the four he's been better about rotating you know he's been better about protecting the rim as a as sort of a weak side shot blocker i think that's been a positive for him um you know in sort of the the nuances of pick and roll defense you know is not are sort of not part of his skill set at this point because he plays a lot of the four and not the five that's sort of the next step for him. If he wants to be a five long term, I think he needs to sort of learn both the nuances of pick and roll defense and the sort of nuances of rim protection as well, because he's, and it's, it's weird to say this about somebody who's, you know, six ten with a six, eight wingspan or six ten wingspan, but like he's short and has short arms for a center. And it just sort of is what it is. Like he's not a pure seven footer. Like without shoes, he's like six, eight and a half, you know, and has like a six ten wingspan. He's not super long. He's not super tall. He he can protect the rim right now based on just the fact that he can jump and touch the top of the backboard. But like that's not going to last forever. You know, it's just that's just the way these these things are. Like by the time he's 27, 28, like he's not going to be able to jump and touch the top of the backboard anymore. And so it's going to be important for him to learn how to take hits to the chest and remain vertical and stuff like that. I think those are the sort of strength things, the nuances of like when to go for a block and when to stay, you know, stay back and let the guy take the floater and try to corral the defensive rebound. That's going to be important for him at the five, you know, particularly if he's, you know, when he's playing the five, he's going to be the biggest guy out there, which means he's sort of responsible for the, the, uh, the, the glass as well. And that's something that as great of an offensive rebounder as he is, he's not a particularly great defensive rebounder. So, you know, it's going to be important for him to sort of get experience with all of that stuff. Not going to happen in the next, you know, month and a half because he's going to be missing for 25 games. But throughout the rest of the season, it's going to be important for him to to learn sort of those kinds of things in the in the few minutes that they do play him at center. Cam Reddish, my biggest takeaway with him, and I don't know if the, if you agree here. I from what I've seen, um, and I was very low on him coming out of college and everything else, but and I kind of pegged him as just Jeff Greeny and watching him. I, I think he needs to be on a bad team where he can get a bunch of lead ball handling duties. Like, I think he's on the wrong team because I don't think he'll ever, when he's just on the wing, he's just irrelevant and he's not in a good enough shooter to make it worthwhile. But the fact that he can dribble and can do some high pick and roll stuff that, I I don't think he'll get the reps. Like, and I still think the Hawks have a weird situation at backup point guard, and maybe he is the answer there. But I I don't know. I feel like he's in the wrong situation for him. If there was ever a chance for him to become a re- actually good NBA player, it's not on this team. Just because his the most value I see being pulled from him is him being a lead ball handler on a bad team and seeing what that turns into. That's interesting. Yeah. See, I have. Sort. I mean, certainly the the three point shot has not been there through the first you know six or seven games of his career at this point because you know he just started out so poorly. But coming into his career, my biggest positive with him was the fact that he could shoot the ball. He could shoot the ball at the high school level. He shot the ball. You know, he could shoot from the outside a little bit with the uh, at Duke last year. 
It was everything else that he couldn't do. You know, like they would, Cam Reddish would give up walking backwards to be the kind of athlete that Jeff Green is. But like he's, I mean, Cam Reddish is one of the worst, like just vertically, vertically challenged athletes in the NBA. Like he's just not very athletic and that's going to be a big problem for him in a lead ball handler role because he's just not that explosive, you know, both laterally in terms of his, his first step and vertically in terms of, you know, finishing over rim protection at the rim. He's just not, he doesn't have that sort of burst. And so as a sort of weak side shooter, secondary playmaker, secondary driver, I think that's been that, I think that makes sense for him in terms of, of his role. The, I mean, the best thing about him right now is how good he is defensively. I mean, he's been, especially in help yeah. defense, he's he's a really solid team defender he's a, he's long he knows where to be he's he, he's a really smart team defender which is rare for a rookie like usually that takes some time for for those guys to sort of catch up to the both the speed and the sort of intelligence level that you have to have to play nba defense these days he's kind of there like it's he's been really good on that end of the floor and you know some of it's been overshadowed by just how bad he's been offensively and you know how how little the ball has gone in the basket for him. But, you know, I think the defense has been really encouraging from him so far. And, and the three point shot hasn't gone in. It looks decent. Like it looks good enough to where I think it'll go in long term. And so I think, mm-hmm. you know, his, his high end outcome for me is sort of like Robert Covington ish, where he hits threes mm-hmm. and doesn't do a whole lot else on, on offense is not like a lockdown perimeter defender. Like Robert Covington can't, like is not going to guard Kawhi Leonard, but like if you put him on, on Patrick Beverly and put stick, you know, stick Beverly in the corner, or, you know, up on the wing and is in Covington's in more of an off ball defensive role. Covington's going to, yeah. going to just destroy you. Like he's so good as an off ball defensive playmaker. And that's sort of, that's a, a high end outcome for Reddish. He'd have to, you know, improve yeah. on both ends to get there, but that's sort of the role that you can see him playing. He's not going to be athletic enough or strong enough. I don't think to guard like the true lead forwards, the LeBrons, the Kawhi's Giannis guys, you know, the bigger skies like that. But you put him on a secondary guy and just tell him like, just go do stuff. Like just be wherever you want to be defensively. And I think that's, that's sort of a, a term path for him that I think would make a lot of sense on this team. I think that's like seven years away. Like yeah, I mean, we're... we're I think he has to give up on the dribbling and trying to be a lead playmaker. I think he has to get that out of his system. So I think you're right, but I think year that's a years down the line thing where he comes to terms with the fact that his real value is threes and like kind of like what Wiggins is still struggling with. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just waiting on him to figure out, oh, I'm not a superstar i'm never going to be a superstar my real value with my length and athleticism is that i can be a good defender i can't guard the Kawhi types but like you said guard uh just go be good defensively and then shoot threes like yeah. that's really what he should be and yeah we'll see it's realistic at 19 that he's going to come anywhere near that i think he really does believe he can be like a lead like a secondary ball handler who can create and drive and dish and stuff i wonder i mean certainly like i don't know reddish i have no, i haven't been around the team since he got drafted, I, I, you know, I won't probably get out to Atlanta until later this year. So it, I, I haven't talked to him directly. It does, it does make me think that he understands his NBA role a little bit better because he's so, he, he already like gives a crap on defense. Like Wiggins came into like a lot of superstars when they come into the league, the Devin Bookers, Andrew Wiggins, who think that they're going to be offensive superstars and some of them it works like Booker is obviously a a ridiculous offensive player and some of them it doesn't like Wiggins you don't see very you see very little defensive value from those guys because they think like well I'm an offensive superstar I don't need to play defense like I'm not like I don't want to waste my energy on that end of the floor whereas Reddish play like he gives a crap about defense and like so it would that just that one little thing would make me think like it might be the reverse where reddish sort of understands maybe that he's more of a three and D guy and they want, and the Hawks want him to develop into more than that. And so we're seeing a little bit more of the, the dribble drive game, the, the pull-up jumpers, the passing that maybe isn't part of his long-term plan. I don't know. You know, it's, it's hard to know what exactly, you know, how exactly reddish feels about his place in the league long-term, but I do I think the fact that he really does try on defense and that's his best trait is a 
in, as an indication that he understands what his role is and what his value is to to the to an NBA team. Lakers, Clippers. I feel like this is just going to be the the highlight of this season. Whether or not um, I feel like maybe it's too soon to go ahead and pencil this in, but it does feel like, barring significant injury to either of those two teams, that it's going to be one of those two teams winning the title this year. Um, the Lakers are, I think more so than anyone uh, surpassing a lot of our expectations just with their role players and what Dwight's doing. And unfortunately my mentions are a dumpster fire every day with Dwight um, playing well, because I tweeted out at the time um, back in August was look, Joakim Noah was legitimately good for the Grizzlies last year. And I didn't understand why the Lakers were considering Dwight Howard over Joakim Noah. I still think Joakim Noah can serve a, a good role on a contender. Uh, I think he's still someone who can play 12 minutes of solid defense and pass and everything else. And I just didn't see that with Dwight. And I don't think anybody did. And uh, he's better. And you have Caruso in there, who we all love. And um, all the role guys are playing well around um, Anthony Davis and LeBron. LeBron obviously getting triple doubles in a row. And that kind of stuff is cool. Um, and then there was this really good piece from Jonathan Charks on the Clippers today. And just uh, Kawhi's added this new dimension to his game, and he's just passing the ball more. And people are obviously upset about the DMP rest on national television. I don't really care about any of that, but he his points per game are up. All of, like they're playing extremely good basketball. They beat the Lakers on opening night without Paul George. Paul George is coming back in a couple weeks. I I'm still very firm in my belief that the Clippers are going to win the title barring injury, but. It is interesting that the Lakers are playing so well. Their only loss is to the Clippers on opening night. Um, what what are you most surprised about with the Lakers in terms of their role players and just how they're beating every team to start the year? I mean, it, it you ha- almost have to start with Dwight, like you did. Like you just that's the biggest surprise of the season. I mean, even the Suns, like a lot of people, like the Suns are the biggest surprise just from a, a bad team that has become good. And like, but a lot of people were sort of in on the Suns from the, like I had their over in, in over unders. Like I really, I thought that they were going to be better this year. This is obviously better than I thought they were going to be, but they're still, they're a surprise, but at least there was a chance that this was going to happen when they got some veteran point guard, a veteran point guard, a veteran center. They've got some, some guys growing around their young core. It made sense that they might take a step forward. Whereas the Dwight Howard thing, like we've, we've got, more than half a decade of evidence that he's just not a a positive NBA player anymore. And now all of a sudden he is. And like, he's, you know, he's slimmed down. He's more agile. He looks healthier than he ever has. He's playing his role, which was always the most important thing that he always thought like he was a superstar and wanted post-ups and wanted touches and wanted to be the guy who led the team in shots. And now it's just like, he's, he's playing the role that every team that has had him wanted him to play throughout the last whatever six seven eight years and he's finally doing it and it's really i mean it's awesome to see because it's when you clamor for you're going to be really good in this smaller role and the guy doesn't take you know the guy doesn't want to do that it's always nice when he does do it that he plays very well and, he, and he's a big part of what the, what their team is doing and you know so i think he's i think you have to start with dwight in terms of, of their role players i think he's he's been the best of them, which is so, you know, it seems weird to say, cause I was right there with you that like, I thought Noah was a better center than, than Dwight was for any team, you know, particularly a team like the Lakers who needs some, some very, you know, some variety in their offensive attack. And that's still an issue for the Lakers. I still think that the Lakers need to bring in a ball handler at some point, whether it's on the buyout market, whether whether Caruso can you know step up even more and take that role, whether Rondo is really going to help them or not. Like, I think these are the, the, where does their extra ball handling come from? Is that, is one of their bigger questions, you know, throughout the rest of the season. But, and that's, I think where Noah could have provided a sort of different sort of look where he can operate from the elbows. He can be the hub of an offense, especially on the second yeah. unit. That's why I thought like that would make a lot of sense for them. He, you know, I think Noah makes a lot of sense for a lot of teams to, who who need that sort of creation on the second unit. But you know, in Dwight's role for what they're asking for him from him, he's you know he's playing super well, and I think that's because he's playing well because Javale is playing well as well. They can get away with some of these bigger lineups where LeBron's at the three and AD's at the four, 
and they could just bludgeon teams defensively. And that's how they've been winning. I mean, they're, you know, they're the they're second in defensive rating. Yeah. And that's what they're doing. Like it's defense and Dwight's in a hundred and uh, what is it? 152 minutes. He has 136 offensive rating and a 92 defensive rating. Like it's the best of anyone on the team right now. And I, but if you look at the rest of that roster right now, I'm still extremely concerned because like the drop off from Anthony Davis and LeBron points wise is insane. Like it's 26, 26 and then 10 for Danny Green, who's shooting 50% from three. Um, I don't think that's sustainable. Kentavious Caldwell-Pope shooting below 30%. He's been bad. Um, Kuzma is still a ways away. He's not shooting the ball well. Um, he's only playing 18 minutes tonight. Quinn Cook's not shooting well. Caruso is not shooting well. Jared Dudley's not in the rotation. Troy Daniels can never get in the rotation consistently. Like Avery Bradley, I guess, has been the a lot better than we all expected. I mean, he has a positive net rating with this team right now, but there is no margin for error. And I just, I don't know. Like, I'm still concerned if one, if Anthony Davis or LeBron miss any sort of like 10 plus game stretch, it's going to get really bad really quickly because I just, I'm still really concerned about that group as a whole because a lot of their success right now is coming just from defense. And is the defense sustainable long-term or any of these guys going to get hurt because the offense still is not great outside of AD and LeBron. Like, it's very middle of the road. Like they don't grab re- offensive rebounds at a high level. They don't get to the free throw line at a high level. They have a, one of the league's lowest three point attempt rate. They have one of the league's lowest free throw uh, rate. I, I don't know. I, I still have a lot more questions about that team than I do the Clippers. The Clippers depth is still 10 times better. And I believe in their wings more than I believe in uh, the Lakers. I, I still don't think it's all that close. I think this is kind of a mirage. I still believe that. Yeah, I think I'm with you there. Like, I think the Lakers are very good as long as everything is perfectly clicking for them. And if anything, yes. become, like if any part of, if any one gear in the watch becomes, you know, off, off axis or whatever, like it's going to just, the whole watch falls apart. Whereas yes. the, the Clippers have a lot more sort of interchangeable gears in their watch and they can just be like, okay, well, this isn't working. Let's just, you know, let's pull Patrick Patterson out and here comes Jermichael Green. And it's like, this is just going to work, you know, whereas the Lakers, like, you know, okay, they're going to pull out, like they've got the center depth with JaVale and, and Dwight Howard, but that's like kind of it. I mean, like the, in terms of, of depth, they've got, you know, mediocre wings between, you know, you know KCP and Avery Bradley and, you know, Rondo will come back and give them some extra ball handling. I think Kuzma, the the biggest thing that he can bring to them is just like, even if he's not efficient, just shot creation, even if he's creating those shots just for himself, which is really all he can do anyway, like just doing that and taking some level of, of pressure off of LeBron and AD to create everything is going to be super important for them. The defense I mean, the the defense has been great so far. Like, you know, it's still relatively small sample this early in the year, just a couple of weeks in. So, you know, we'll see whether they can keep that up. But certainly having, being able to play centers, like a true center next to Anthony Davis, who's already super long and, and great defensively. And then LeBron has been just absolutely locked in on, on the defensive end as well. Those three, you know, just having those, that, that three, three-man group in, in the front court, it almost doesn't matter what else they're doing. Uh, you know, as long as everybody stays healthy among that group. And so, you know, I do think that the defense is sustainable. I wonder certainly about the offense, you know, in a playoff series in particular, like it can be a problem, whereas the, the Clippers certainly have a lot more depth and a lot more sort of interchangeable parts that I think can be better. So I, I do, I would favor the Clippers in like a seven game series with the Lakers, you know, pretty handily because, they've got the best of both worlds. Like their superstars are just as good, if not better than the Lakers. And they've got way more depth and way better depth. That makes more sense with their stars. So I would certainly think that the Clippers are like a full step ahead of, of the Lakers in sort of the, the Western conference, you know, title run, but the Lakers have been, have been really good. And they're going to be a really good regular season team based on the, the back of that defense and having LeBron and AD in, you know, at the end of close games is going to give you just enough offense to, to get the job done. Yeah, I think they're going to be, like you said, that's the great way of wrapping up there is that they're going to be a great regular season team. They're going to win a lot of games and then they're going to really struggle um, with their depth issues in the playoffs is my my uh, my belief. Um, the Hornets, PJ Washington, cut bursting onto the scene. People really like him. He's cool. He's fun. Um, one of my things this offseason was that 
I did not believe the Hornets could play enough bad players to be the worst team in the league because people were like, oh, it's the worst roster. It's so sad and everything else. I'm like, yeah, but they're they're kind of doing what the Suns did where they're just playing a bunch of vets and they're giving up on all their young guys, Malik Monk and all those dudes. Like Terry Rozier is still just going to be just good enough to keep them from being the bottom of the barrel. And uh, right now they're playing 500 basketball. And I don't think they're going to finish around 500, but I do think the the fact that they're around that number is real am i crazy for thinking this is closer to who they are than the worst team in the league um i mean like they're gonna be a lot worse than this throughout the rest of the year like they're getting like way more sort of over their head play from some of the young guys pj washington is just can't miss right now Devontae graham is all of a sudden turning into trey young like He's been un- unbelievable through the first couple weeks of the year. Scott you would, Rafferty is beside himself. He loves him. <laughs> he I mean, I really him. like Devontae Graham. I think I thought I had him as one of the, you know, a high-end second-round, you know, low-end first-round point guard last year when he got drafted. Like, I I believed in him coming out of last year. I thought he was going to be, to- like, totally fine as their backup point guard. He's been so much better than just totally fine as a backup point guard. Like, he's he might be the best point guard on that team, like including Rogier. You know, he just, he, I think he, his ability to get to his pull-up jump shot, his ability to operate in pick and roll, like he's getting what they're getting out of Graham unlocks so much of what else they want to do because Rogier is best in an off-ball role. Having Graham be the on-ball creator has been so great for them. And that's the one part of it that we, didn't know what was going to happen. Of course, like we, nobody had any idea that Graham was going to be able to do this kind of thing. And so then we thought, well, the ball is going to be in Rogier's hands. He's going to be their primary creator. He's going to turn the ball over a lot. He's going to take a lot of inefficient shots. He's going to miss most of those shots and it's going to be really bad. And that was sort of the basis upon their, their offense. Their, they were going to be so bad offensively because he was their only shot creator, you know, coming into the year. And now Graham has given them another shot creator who is, also moving Rogier into a much better role as sort of a three and D point guard. And I think that's, that's been one of the, the best things to watch about the, about the Charlotte Hornets through the first couple of weeks of the year, obviously, you know, they're getting some really out, you know, over their head play from Graham, from Washington, even from Malik Monk, when he gets in there has been really efficient this year. And is sort of a, as a departure from last year, the only guy, the only one of their young guys and miles bridges has been good as well. The only one of their young guys who has been, not good was the one I thought was going to be their best in, in Dwayne Bacon. Like I really loved Dwayne Bacon coming into the year. I thought he was going to be, you know, maybe their best young guy, probably their second best after miles bridges. Like I thought he was going to be step up and really be a, a very you know useful player. And he's been the only guy who's really struggled from the field and has not been able to sort of get it going this year, but they've gotten some, you know, amazing play out of everybody else to the point where, at some point, those young guys are going to hit the wall, and it's it's going to be a problem. Who are you a bigger believer in, Washington or Bridges? Because they're both playing well, and they're both kind of doing the same kind of stuff. They're both playing around 32 minutes. They're both at, like, who do you think has more upside long-term from what you've seen? Well, I think upside, you would probably go with Bridges, but Washington has such a weird... Washington's just so weird to me. Like, I didn't, I didn't believe in him really coming out of college. I just didn't think that he was going to fit with the, with the modern NBA. I didn't see him being able to, to hit threes at the rate that he's been able to do it. I didn't think that he was, I thought he was sort of a tweener. And and as much as everything is very positionless now, having a small big man who can't really shoot was going to be a problem. Obviously he has been able to shoot very well and like, doesn't the tweener aspect has not come back to, to haunt him in any way. So he's, you know, from that perspective, I guess he's been better, but I just, I don't know how much the the shooting is, is real versus how much of the shooting is, is sort of this, a mirage of the early season. He just hit a bunch of shots and now he's, you know, I don't know that he's actually a shooter. So I think Bridges has a, you know, higher ceiling. Certainly Bridges has a higher defensive ceiling. I think, you know, I think Bridges is a, a better defensive player now and going forward into the future. So I think that's, you know, a big, a big part of, of his value as well comes on that end. And so his ability to dribble drive and sort of create a little bit, a little, he's got a little Aaron Gordon, a little bit of Blake Griffin in him, you know, current career, Blake Griffin, not early career, Blake Griffin. So, you know, I think he's, he's got some more upside just sort of as if he continues on this path of improvement, he could be like a star. Whereas Washington, like 
if he continues to be what he is now, like really, he's a really, really good role player, but isn't going to be a, a star. I don't think so. The ceiling probably goes toward bridges, but you know, certainly the, the early returns from Washington would indicate that his abilities as a role player would give him a, a higher median outcome and a higher floor than, than what bridges has. Um, what's more real right now? Dallas and just how well they're playing or Houston and how much they're struggling. What, what are you more in on? Uh, Dallas being good. I think, I mean, that's, I think they, I think Houston being not so good is just totally fake. I don't believe like Aaron Gordon or not Aaron Gordon, Eric Gordon is shooting like 25% from three. Like that's obviously not going to continue. He's one of the best shooters in the league. Like, you know, James Harden is even having some struggles from the field. He's, you know, getting to the line incessantly. And so that's keeping up his efficiency. But like, if he, if he can shoot like he shot last year or just uh, like a normal superstar does, plus all the, you know, all the foul calls that he gets, like he's going to be much better. And the, really the big thing is, is that their defense has just been really, really bad. And it's not, some of it has been them. Like they, they're, you know, they are, I think they are third to last in defensive rating per cleaning the glass. Like it's, it's been really bad for them on that end. And there have been games like the Miami game either earlier this week or last week. I don't remember time is just sort of flies by during the season, but at some point they played Miami very recently and they were just, the, the effort wasn't there. The scheme was all, like awful. They were just all over the place and it was really, really bad. Other nights have not been like that. They are just, but they're still getting killed defensively. And I think a lot of that has to do with just how well three-point shooters are shooting against them. They're giving up like 42% opponent three-point percentage. And that's just like, it's been shown empirically that like, that's not something that teams have a lot of control over how their opponents shoot from three-point range. They have control over how much they shoot and how often they shoot. And that has been a problem for the Houston Rockets, but just if their opponents shoot, shoot 42% for the rest of the year, then yeah, I mean, it's going to be a problem, but like you never, ever see that from a defense and you never see, you never see it, uh, a, a team's opponent shoot that well for throughout the entire season. So I'm not, I don't buy a lot of the, the of Houston's defensive struggles just from that perspective. I think they can get back to a top 20 defense just based on opponent regression to the mean from, a, from three point range. And then the offense, I think, will regress up to the mean as well with Eric Gordon playing better, with James Harden being more efficient from the field as he plays his way sort of into shape a little bit. I think he's going to be a lot better. So, you know, I don't buy much of, of Houston struggles. I think they're still going to be a very, very good regular season team. The playoffs are a different story. We'll see how Russell Westbrook performs when we, once we get there. But I think they're going to be a very good regular season team. And these early season struggles don't bother me. Dallas, on the other hand, like they're good, like they're they might legitimately be, you know, really solid. And I think Porzingis has looked just as good as he did before the ACL. The fact that he got to take a year and a half off to rehab was, you know, really fortuitous for him. I, I think he would have liked to been out there at the end of the season last year, but it made sense for them to hold him out and make sure that he was 100% because he looks great. He looks great on both ends of the floor. He's able to shoot you know, a lot of those step back three pointers, like we're, we're sort of fawning over Carl Anthony Towns being able to do this at seven feet and, and, and Porzingis is seven, three, and he's doing the same sort of stuff. Not, you know, certainly the volume isn't there, but you know, he's able to hit those step back threes. He's able to hit pick and pop threes with great footwork. And, you know, he's certainly a, a menace going to the rim at, at his size with his length. And, you know, so I think he's, He's, you know, he's a better de- defensive player than, than Towns is as well because of the, the length and the, the instincts around the rim. Towns has been a lot better defensively this year, but Porzingis was already good. And so, you know, he's, he's been just as good there. So, you know, I think, and of course, you know, Luka Doncic is, you know, one of the best young guys in the league. He's certainly up there among the like, you know, under 22 guys that you would build a he's team around. A triple double. I mean, he's, he's been, like, hey. he's been <laughs> awesome. So like, they're, I think they're real, and they've got a lot of role players who make sense. Like Maxi Kleba makes sense around this team. Dorian Finney-Smith has been like quietly one of their better players. Like he's not offensively, you know, bringing a ton of value, but like he's on the floor for them in crunch time almost every night. Like he is, he is one of the guys that that Coach Carlisle really relies upon to to defend opposing wings, which is important, of course, because. Luca is not very good on that end of the floor. That's their biggest. That's one of their biggest problems right now is that Luca it just gets torched defensively, and it's it's a big problem for them. And but I I think 
I, I really I buy what Dallas is is able to do. I think that their role players fit their team. I think their two stars work well together, both offensively and defensively, with how Porzingis can make up for some of Luca's deficiencies on that end of the floor. So, you know, I, I really believe in in this Dallas team after seeing them just for a couple of weeks. But I think that they're they've got a chance to be really special offensively, and then you know the defense will be just good enough to get them in. They're smart. Like they're number one in offensive rating right now, and it's because it's very simple. Uh, they take a lot of threes, they make a lot of threes, and they get to the line a bunch, and they make the make good use of getting to the line. I mean, Luca gets to the line, Porzingis gets to the line. Um, I do think we're kind of underselling just how much those two, how much credit a twenty-four and twenty-year-old deserve for just how good this group is because. It's not like Kleber and Finney Smith and Hardaway and Brunson and Justin Jackson. It's like, how, like these are all like great rotation guys, but and it's also a testament to Rick Carlisle getting a, a bunch out of these dudes. Um, the Dylan Wright stuff looks like a very good, very good uh, signing this summer, but Hardaway has not been good. And um, Seth Curry's only playing twenty two minutes a night. It's not like he's just this big dude. They're just their rotation is all over the place and the only staple is the only staples rather is Doncic and Porzingis. So I, I think um, those two are going to be good long-term health permitting and uh, Luca just doing things that most uh, 20 year olds just can't do, but he's, he's out of this world and I, and I miss him every day. <laughs> um, the rocket stuff though. I, I wonder like how did you see Tom Haberstroh's big number today? I haven't. I've been out most of the morning and then uh, we're doing this, but I'm going to check in on a lot of my reading this afternoon before the game start. Well, he pointed out that they're playing at a pace faster than like basically an offensive pace where they're getting a shot up within like 12.6 seconds as the average or something like that. The height of the Phoenix Suns during the D'Antoni era was 13.7. Do you think that is like when you watch the Rockets, do you notice is that a Russell Westbrook thing where they're just because he can't just stand in the corner and to get the most out of a player like Westbrook, you just have to even pick up the pace even more. And they were a slow paced team last year without him and Harden, like that team, part of the reason people didn't like it is because it was kind of slow and part Harden picking his spots and drawing fouls or anything else. But like with Westbrook, he has to play a little bit differently. And they, the only way for Westbrook to really be um, even come close to the value of peak Chris Paul a couple years ago is just, going as fast as humanly possible and avoiding as many half court sets long um long half court sets uh i don't know i thought it was interesting yeah i mean i think that the their average possession is probably relatively fast because some of their possessions are like five seconds because you know westbrook picks up a defensive rebound and just goes and that's what his value is and so if you cut if you were to try to track their pace in half court offense i would imagine they're probably pretty slow whereas but their pace in in transition offense is so fast and they do get so many transition opportunities that they are their overall average comes down to the point where they're you know at 12.6 seconds and they're faster than the d'antoni Suns from from the early part of the or the you know sort of mid 2000s you know i think that has a lot to do with westbrook i think that has a lot to do with playing to his strengths and i think it has a lot I think it shows how interesting that Houston can be offensively. And the fact that you, as an opposing defense, they now, you have to defend them all 24 seconds of the shot clock where, you know, before you could really, you could, you could go for some offensive rebounds because you knew that they were going to dribble the air out of the ball on the other end. They weren't going to push you. And now like if you're a, if you're a team going up against the Rockets, you have to prepare on every possession to both defend Russell Westbrook freight training down the you know down in transition offense and you then have to settle in and be like okay now we have to have a whole other defensive scheme to deal with James Harden and so you know the fact that those two guys are so different in how they play the game makes it so that defenses really have to fully prepare for both guys and just is I mean they're going to just tire opponents out throughout the season you know guys who you know defenses who come into Houston in January, February, after the season has really gotten going and now have to defend, you know, 24 seconds on, on every shot clock, because, you know, if Westbrook doesn't get what he wants early in the clock, they're going to go to Harden's isolations, Harden's pick and rolls, and you're going to have to defend against that. So, you know, I think what Houston's going to be able to do long-term on, on offense is going to be really interesting to monitor against, 
teams as defenses get you know t- more tired as the season rolls on. I think they they're going to be able to be particularly effective. The fact that their pace is so high, I think, is you know relatively skewed by uh, by Westbrook's pushes in in transition. Do you think there's anything the Raptors because they've just been so good defensively um, this year? OG and Obi being healthy is great, and I love OG. Uh, Pascal's obviously made a leap. They're getting a lot out of their their veterans. Um, they're still not as deep as they were a year ago. Um, Fred VanVleet's obviously still great. Is there anything that they can do midseason because they're floating around that Boston zone? And I mean, Gordon Hayward looks like he's back, which is a cool story. Um, but there is a limitation to what this team can really get to, um, which is kind of frustrating. But I just love this group so much. I wish there was a way. Do you think there is a possibility that OG can get good enough where they can package him and an expiring for something extremely interesting to make the Eastern Conference playoff picture a little bit more tantalizing? Like I, I've tried to think of just different guys, and I think the, the right answer here is someone in Orlando because Orlando's quietly two and five, and this is a very Steve Clifford-y type situation where they overachieve one year and people talk themselves into it, and then his team underachieves the next year, and then he gets fired. Um, I I have real concerns about Orlando, and it turns out putting uh, Markel Fultz in the starting lineup did not fix their problems, but I think we've always wanted to see Aaron Gordon on a different team and what he looks like. Like, Would Aaron Gordon on the Raptors change how you look at them this year does that elevate them into that real eastern conference contender status or do you think they need more like what what do you think the raptors can actually do or if they can actually win the east i mean if they got aaron gordon for free that would be great because their biggest issue right now is not that their top seven or eight guys aren't good it's that yeah. they're they only have seven or eight guys. Yeah, like that's it. Like they have like their eighth their eighth rotation player is Terrence Davis, who is a rookie, or is like Chris Boucher, or is like Matt Thomas. Matt <laughs> Thomas, who like came over from Europe and can really shoot the ball, but that's kind of it. And like that's their biggest problem. So I don't think like packaging OG and a veteran for Aaron Gordon would make that problem worse, not better. Like their biggest issue is the depth. And so I think trading one of their veterans for like three rotation level players would make a lot more sense for them than, than, than trying to package two of their guys into a, uh, into a star. Cause they're just, they're so, they're so thin and they play. If they have any single injury to one of their top seven guys, then they're then they're down to six guys who can really play NBA you know NBA level basketball on a night to night basis and so I just I don't I don't think that they they don't have the superstar talent anymore of course to really to really contend at the top of the East in the playoffs and then they also are just so thin that they don't I don't think that they have what it really takes to push Boston for the three seed or to push Brooklyn or Miami for the four or five seed like. If, if they have any sort of injury or they decide at some point down the line that they can't play Van Vliet and Lowry like 40 minutes a game every night for the regular season, they're just they're, I think they're they're prime for some sort of personnel related regression because they just can't keep riding seven guys throughout the entire season. Like that's just not yeah. going to work, you know, especially when three of them are 30 or older. You're just you can't have a, a situation where you're playing seven guys the the vast majority of the minutes and it's you know it's unfortunate that they are in the position that they're in of course with Kawhi and Danny Green both leaving in free agency they didn't replace those guys so their you know their nine-man rotation from last year is now a seven-man rotation and that's because they couldn't the, the two guys that they really brought in to replace them in free agency are Stanley Johnson and Rondé Hollis Jefferson and neither one of those guys can play for that you know neither one of those guys are are in the rotation really that much, you know, Nick nurse doesn't really particularly seem to care for either one of those guys. And so he's just riding his veterans. And if he rides those guys into the ground by January, February, like it's going to be a big problem for them. So, you know, I, I don't think that going for a big fish is their answer is the answer for them. I think trading one of their big fish for three or four guys who can actually play at an NBA level would, would certainly help this team a lot more than, than a, than a single sort of, halfway star i mean certainly if they could trade for like a big superstar they, they do that but like trading for aaron gordon 
doesn't make a ton of sense, but trading for like three guys who could really play for them would make a lot more sense to me. Yeah. I don't know. I just want to see them with another star. This group deserves one more run with the star. That's all I want. They're just still too good. Fred VanVleet, Lowry still playing amazing. It's just the the timelines are not going to match up in there. Yeah. I mean, I think we're going to see some of that next year. I think that's this, this, this year is sort of a transition year because Kawhi left because Danny Green left, you know, they're going to be able to, you know, they have Siakam signed up. They've got Lowry signed up through next year. They've, you know, they'll, they'll be able to retain Fred Van Vliet for whatever he wants. Like, I think that they'll be able to, to continue to add around the edges of this and team. OG. And they've got OG Ananobi, who is hopefully going to take a step this year and will, you know, continue to, to step up. And percent from three, he's just an amazing defender. He's awesome. I'm, I'm all in on OG. Yeah. I mean, he's certainly not like a star level prospect. Yeah. Like he's not going to be able to like create anything for you, but if he can be a three and D forward, like that's going to be super helpful for them. They've got Siakam who has taken yet another leap somehow, like somehow he took another leap from last year and his usage is through the roof and yet his efficiency is still awesome. And so, you know, he's there, he might be their number one superstar next year, the year after, maybe even this year, you know, if they, you know, make some noise on a playoff series. So, you know, they've got some, They've certainly got some some of their long term pieces settled in, and if they can try not to run Van Vliet particularly into the ground, Siakam as well, Ananobi as well. Like if they can just try not to kill those guys this year, then they can build their their future team around them. But if they decide that seven guys are the they're going to be their rotation throughout the regular season, somebody's somebody is going to get hopefully not, but somebody's going to get hurt. Like we just we don't you don't see a team run seven man rotations throughout the whole season like this. My sneaky thing that I would uh, very much be here for is uh, so Gordon Hayward has a player option after this year, right? And yeah. He's looking really good. What if Gordon Hayward just left and went to signed up with Toronto next summer? That would certainly help them a lot. I think that would be great for them in terms of having a, another shot creator. I'd feel awful for Boston just because like they're, they're the ones who gave him what would be about a hundred million dollars to, rehab to miss the, the entire first year to rehab the whole second year now he's playing pretty well but they're not really in contention anymore right now and yeah. it's like geez like that would just real like you look you think back of like gordon hayward was supposed to be the last piece of this the this great celtics run where they've got Kyrie, they've got al horford they played every one of their cards exactly right other than you know maybe being able to trade for paul george with jalen brown or whatever but like they played most of their cards very perfectly and then hayward goes down five minutes into the season and that was the end of their that was the end of their run and it's like geez like you just feel really like they did they did almost everything exactly right and they're they're probably not going to win a championship out of it you know even if hayward stays like they're probably not going to everything exactly right because they still have screwed up jalen brown and jason tatum's development i don't like the ultimately it's whatever jason tatum was going to be like jason tatum not turning into a superstar i think is the bigger issue than anything right but like, like they were never i don't think they ever needed jason like if they had gotten superstar like gordon hayward contender like hey like tatum's upside was still always going to be a lot higher than hayward's at his peak i don't agree with that at all Ooh. i don't I, gordon well, that's Hay- a problem. utah gordon hayward was like a top 15 player in the league like he was really, really good. Kyrie Irving was obviously Kyrie Irving. He still is. Al Horford was and still is Al Horford. Like those were their guys. And Tatum only became the like, oh, well, maybe Tatum could be our future superstar because Hayward is no lo- was no longer their star. Maybe he'll, he'll still come back from that. But Well, no, I think it was before when he had the playoff series. Like that was it. It was when Tatum had the playoff series where you're like, oh, he can be the lead scorer, lead like right well that happened after hayward got hurt like he yeah and so like i mean that hasn't i don't think tatum i think that would that might that's not going to be the high watermark of his career but it's like it's going to be up there like he's not he doesn't have the like off the dribble passing acumen to to be a star like he doesn't have that level like hayward had all of that to his game like he was as good as they thought jason tatum could ever be like gordon hayward was already there and he was great and for him, like that was the, that was the moment. Like as soon as he went down, it's now, you know, we've gotten to the point where like the Celtics are probably not going to, to win a championship. And I don't know that it had a whole lot to do with Tatum in particular. I think it probably had more to do with like Brown and Rogier. If they had 
been willing to part with those guys for Paul George. Maybe they get that done and they make a run last year or something like that. But like there are some some trade things that they could have done better, but I don't know that they've significantly screwed up the development for for Tatum and Brown to the point where they're they would be championship contenders if they had done that perfectly. All right. Well, Jeff, this has been this has been great. I love talking basketball with you, man. Um, is there anything we should check out from you this week on Early Bird Rights or all the other places that you are writing and podcasting at? Yeah, I mean, uh, check out Early Bird Rights. Follow me on Twitter at JJ Siegel, at Early Bird Rights as well on Twitter. Uh, Peachtree Hoops for all your Hawks coverage. Early Bird Rights for everything else. Um, as we speak on Wednesday, we're still working on something really, really big for Early Bird Rights that should be out. This week, next week, hopefully sometime very soon, that's going to be, you know, I think it's going to be really huge. I think people are going to really like it, but I can't say what it is yet just because it's not done until it's absolutely done. I don't usually like to talk about that kind of thing just to make sure that uh, I don't overpromise something that may not happen. Mm-hmm. So we're working on it. We're trying to, there, we've got a, a few guys. Joining the athletic. That's not what's happening. Um, it's <laughs> going to be something that is on early bird rights and will remain on early bird rights. Um, and it's, not it's not writing it's something similar to like the cap sheets and the rotation tool where it's something that you can come back to every day and is going to be really interesting and so hopefully people are going to really like that stuff and we we've got some of the some of it done but we're still waiting on the last little bit so hopefully that'll be this week or next week but uh keep your eyes peeled earlybirdrights.com will be the home for that when it releases all my all my non hawks articles are going up over there hawk stuff at petrie hoops so yeah, that's uh, that's pretty much all I've got going on these days. That's a lot though, and I love early bird rights. I'm glad you're doing it. Um, I check it every day, and I I appreciate all your hard work there, man. So I will probably be on it later this afternoon, sorting through some stuff. But Jeff, it's always a pleasure talking to you, somebody. Thanks for having me. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.